You're listening to the Build Assets Online Podcast. Learn how you You. can build a diverse and sustainable income online from two brothers who actually do it. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Joe. All right, we are live, everyone. Joe and Mike back at it again with a special guest, Kevin, buildassetsonline.com. This is our third student success video that we've done today, but this is the only live one we recorded. The other two, those are going to be up soon. So we're really, really happy to have another student that's doing well and happy to have Kevin on the show. Kevin, nice to meet you. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Pretty excited to be here. It's my first live stream ever. Hello, everyone (laughs) who's watching. Wow. That's, that is certainly exciting. Um, (laughs) So, so let's go back to the beginning. Um, Talk about, you know, I mean, guess give us a quick intro how did you get involved with build assets online? What made you want to do a online business in the first place? Like take us through how you got to the beginning of your journey. Yeah, sure. So um, I started my high ticket dropshipping store two years ago during the pandemic. I think it was mid 2020. Um, and at the time I was working in finance, I was working in Chicago at a algo trading shop. And I think during the pandemic, I was kind of just like, well, I don't know if I want to stay in finance forever. Maybe I should look for something else. And then I remember I um, was browsing around on YouTube with all the load ticket dropshipping stuff. Um, and then I was going down that rabbit hole. And then I came across your guys' uh, I think your guys' interview on Spencer Cornelius' channel was two years ago. Um, I came across that and I saw you guys and I was like, whoa, these people are doing something different. High ticket dropshipping. And they have they have really good content and they only have like a hundred views on their videos. They're not trying to like dress it up or anything to to like you know scam viewers or anything. All right, let's go with them. And then let me I let like, me ask you let me ask you a question. Let me because this yeah. this intrigues me. So Spencer Cornelia's channel is focused a lot and like people like Coffeezilla and stuff like that. Their content is focused around a lot on like people who are scamming other people. Um and I've always wondered about, because I don't really watch that kind of stuff, like having done this online stuff for so many years, like I know all the possibilities, the limitations and what it takes to like actually make an income online. So like as a viewer to that kind of content, like what was your state of mind? Like, were you interested in like this, like we were just trying to sift through what was legitimate and what was not like, I guess, tell us a little bit how, about like how you thought back then. Um. Yeah. So I think. So I had no experience with online online businesses at all before that point, like no FBA, no like eBay, no dropshipping, no nothing. Um, so I think it was just like trying to collect information or just like do research. And I guess I came across, I mean, I was already watching like a lot of their uh, content. Like Spencer Colina has like a, um, he has a series like Authentic or Charlatan that I think is mm-hmm. like pretty fun to watch. Um, yeah, I'm into, I like to occasionally watch those other channels as well. Um, just because it's kind of fun to see how like seedy of a world this is, you know. Um, but but I guess like business wise, I was just doing um, research and really just like trying to collect collect more info. Like I'd put put like maybe a hundred hours of like just hardcore research into low ticket dropshipping. Like I had set up a store and everything too, and like um, but yeah, I was just continuously researching. And then like after a hundred hours, I, I found something new and wow, so that was instantly better. I mean, definitely having been working with you over the past year or whatever it is, two years, I could tell you're definitely very uh, detail oriented. 
Um, but that is a lot. That's a lot of time to spend watching YouTube videos about dropshipping. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it is pretty horrendous. I remember I came up with like a ten-page like like summary of all my research and like uh, yeah, I don't know. It was pretty extensive, but <laughs> I like how we were like we were the end result of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was with like five five views per video. Yeah, like, yeah. This, this all adds up. <laughs> did you have like an algorithm? You were like views per video, like income, like income they're making. Like, did you have like a formula that you decided? No, like, not really. I think that just came across your guys' site and then everything you guys were saying just like made sense. Like, oh, it's two guys who are just like doing really well and want to share how they do it with the world. It's like, okay, I believe that's genuine. And I believe they have really good content. And like, I don't feel that about anybody else that I've come across. So that was yeah. it. It was just a gut reaction as I just knew. It's just funny I because you guys are it. <laughs> one of the other interviews we did today, they said the same thing that they they liked us because we didn't our channel wasn't that big. So we're doing all this stuff to try and you know get more viewers, but it seems like it's a bit counterproductive because it, it people like that we have no views. So yeah, I mean it is interesting. And so I mean you you said you were in finance, you were working in Chicago, and um, you know when you when you described your job to me, it seemed like it was a pretty um secure type of job and so what about like the pandemic made you think that you need uh another way of, of generating income um so i'd say my decision to leave finance and do drop shipping isn't uh like a financial decision it's more like a uh what do i want to do with like what type of lifestyle do i want to have and I, I did have like a very um like like good job it was good perks like it was comfortable wasn't stressful or anything um but i think i just have felt I felt that I would be stagnating. Like I'm 26 right now. And when I quit, I was 25. So like you, you kind of want an exciting time in your twenties. Right. And I just felt like stagnating doing the same thing for the next five, seven years um, wasn't really what I wanted. And I think the lifestyle that's afforded by doing online business is pretty attractive. Like you can be your own boss. You, you don't have, you can take a week two off if you want, like you're not geographically tied to anywhere. Um, and I would definitely say like, I've really enjoyed that freedom in the last year or so that I've, um, no quit finance. Uh, I've been like all over the place and like hanging out with a lot of people doing a lot of cool things. And yeah, that's, that's really been like the draw for me at least. Mm, I definitely want to get into that. And that's amazing to hear. Um, but so you said you were working in Chicago, were you working in New York as well? Um, so I used to work in New York. Um, so the industry I was in, it's it's a subsector of finance called high frequency trading or algo trading. And basically all the exchanges are situated in New York or Chicago. Yeah. So that's where you'll find all of these firms. So I used to work in New York at a small high frequency trading shop. They actually went under in 2018, but that's a different story. Um, and then I joined another one in 2019 in Chicago. Yeah, so okay. both of these cities have. Out of curiosity, because I think I've heard this before maybe you confirm confirm that this is the case the reason that it's all like centrally located to like new york or very close to new york or chicago is because literally it's like milliseconds away from the actual uh what, what do you call it like wall street like makes a difference in high frequency trading yeah it's you want to be really close to the so the exchange is literally like you always want to be in the data like your computer in the data center wants to be like really close to the exchange, the stock exchanges computer in the data center. Yeah. Um, is it like so a speed of light type is. thing? Uh, yeah. So it used to be like a race about nanoseconds and like how long your cord was. 
Uh, that used to be a big thing. People would pay like tens of millions to get like the spot, like two feet closer, <laughs> you know. But since then, they kind of implemented changes so that like everybody has to use the same length wire or something like that. So now there's no like competition over who's closer. But at the end of the day, people are still like, it's still easier to do business like in the same city because like you're a firm, you have to like send your technicians and your like data people to like, um, like set up a lot of this stuff. Uh, um, so it's just like a lot easier to be. What do you get to reset the router? <laughs> I don't know if I'll do anything, but. <laughs> By the way, guys, I see some comments are coming in. If you guys have questions for us or Kevin, we'll get to them at the end. Um, so just be sure to leave them and then we'll get to them later. I, we can even highlight them on the screen just like this now. So hey. very exciting. You want, if you want your comment up on screen then uh, or question, then leave a question. But so the reason I asked about uh, were you working in New York? Have you ever seen the, the show Succession? I actually haven't. No. Well, anyway, I mean, they work for like a big media company in Manhattan. And so, you know, you're telling me you worked in basically the finance industry of Chicago or New York or whatever. And as a young kid, like, I feel like a lot of people aspire to do what you're doing. I mean, to have a, a Wall Street job in a big city and, you know, after work, you all go out and you drink and you do the, you know, these city, these big city things. I mean, did you feel like you were living that life or, you know, is that what kind of the life you expected and maybe it didn't add up? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I've never was the type of person to do that. Like, okay. um, yeah, like, I'm honestly, like, like for, for college, I went to a business school, um, business undergrad. It was very pre-professional. Um, it kind of fed into a lot of like, you know, Wall Street and whatnot. Um, there's like a certain culture to it. Uh, like maybe it's like, you know, frat culture 2.0 or something like that. But, um, you know, I'm kind of like guys, like I'm introverted. I like, you know, I like, um, you know, like just doing my own thing. I'm not really like in, in that part of the crowd and I'm not like like social i don't like drinking that much so no <laughs> that stuff like i mean i yeah. kind of there's kind of a draw to it but i was never really like yeah because i'm thinking wolf of wall street type stuff going on if you're in the high frequency trading industry yeah. but because if we ever want quaaludes we know where to go in the yeah. fleet okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you something about high frequency trading actually so um I think around in the in the mid two thousands, basically trading went from manual so you'd go you'd go literally go to a pit and like you'd scream at people during the day, be like, "Oh, I'll buy ten thousand shares of this, la la." la. Um, and it became electronic, and so then there was it was more like on your computers. So what that meant was like at first you'd have like back in the day, it'd be more like you know six six football players that are like that, that's the type of person you had as a trader because you had to stand in the pit all day amongst like hundreds of other sweaty other guys and yell at the top of your lungs all day. But now that's all on computers. You get more like you know nerdy like geeky guys who can like smack who can code and like do quant models like that's the type of trader now um yeah. that's more popular so those are, like the two kind of types so yeah like 30 years ago 20 years ago like it's more wolf of wall street now it's like you know it's more yeah it's different sheep of wall that's street natural selection right there <laughs> the nerds yeah, figure out a way to win out but okay so anyway pandemic you're looking into doing something else you find drop shipping you find us somehow amongst our you know, 500 views. I, I think I remember the day that you joined. I think I remember one time you came into our live stream, you asked us a bunch of questions and then you joined. And then we actually had an office hours that same day or something. And then you came into the office hours. And I remember you were just like, yeah, this seems great. This seems like a great value. You asked us a bunch of questions 
And then, um, you know, the rest is history. So I guess why don't you take us through, you know, when you started doing dropshipping and like how it all came to be to get to your first sale and stuff. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I started off just working on the dropshipping store like part-time and then I think for the first like five months or something, it was really just like set up. It was, like going through all the modules and like setting up the website and the Google ads and like all that stuff. So that's pretty straightforward. Um, you were still working it, at the time, right? Yeah, I was still working at the time. Um, and then I think one barrier for me was like, because I was working, like I couldn't take calls myself. So I kind of had to like hire out of the gate. Uh, I guess more on that. Like, so I've never really done a lot of stuff myself. I've always just tried to like, higher as soon as possible, which has worked out <laughs> ambiguously, I guess. Um, but um, so I probably got my first sale after like three months. And then I think maybe after like five or six months, I probably had like a handful of suppliers, like five, eight, 10 suppliers. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, this seems like it has trajectory. Like this has get, I was getting sales. Um, the numbers look good. Um, so then so I just had to quit my job in like, you know, six months after I started. Um, it was also when like bonuses got paid out too. So <laughs> it's not the only reason. Um, and then, so I think, um, so I think maybe like six to nine months after I started, I, this is like Jan, Jan to March of like 2021 last year. Um, I was hitting like a really good stride, I guess, just like, you know, first couple of suppliers were like, were pretty good. Numbers were pretty good. Like, you know, hit some seasonality. Um, and I think like sales started like rolling in like a ton actually. Um, like I think in May of last year or something, I was probably like actually over a hundred thousand or 150,000. Um, but I think that led to me, me to become very over, over optimistic because then I proceeded to like just derp around the next rest of the year and not really like work on the store, be complacent. And then, um, so the rest of the year kind of like rolled out like that. Um, I had hired like people who weren't as good and like, wasn't really managing them. And I was kind of doing an autopilot the store for most of that year. And then I think at the end of the year, I came back, was like, wow, I have, you know, consistent six digit sales all year. Like this should be making money. Right. And then I decided to do accounting at the end of the year. And it said, actually, that was not the case. So, um, so yeah, there's some mistakes I had obviously made uh, during that time. And then I think at the end of the year, so it's like October last year now, um, just like sat down and tried to like go through all those issues and not, not try to autopilot as much. So you were and losing have, money or you just weren't making as much as you thought you were? Um, I think it was, I think it was worse than that. I think I actually like, uh, I think I actually lost money. Yeah. In 2021. Oh. But like a part of that was like, I probably spent like way too much money on hiring people. Like I'm probably one of the few people who actually hired us employees and went through like the entire like W2 thing and everything. Um, <laughs> okay. That, that I had two of them actually, which is just like, like, I think my original intention was like, oh, I need a salesperson because I'm, I'm working part-time. I'm not going to be able to pick pick up the phone. And I figured I was going to have somebody in the U.S. do it rather than a VA. And then that basically, so those people are expensive, right? Like, like, I think I was paying them like 13 bucks an hour or something. And then with like all the taxes and whatnot, it's like probably comes out to like 15, 16 an hour. Um, but I guess it's so much higher compared to like your $4 per hour VAs. So I probably like spewed like a good 30, 40 K on like wages uh -huh. and they just weren't returning. Like they're honestly just weren't as good as VAs. Like 
VAs are really good. Um, <laughs> they work so hard. They're so loyal. And the cost of living is a lot lower. Um, so I think that's like one big thing that caused me to lose a lot of money um, out of carelessness. So yeah. if you, I mean, I don't know if you can recall this off the top of your head. If you go back to that first year, um, what did it kind of look like if you just consider like just ads, like the return on ad spend in terms of like how much you made from the products versus what you sold? Like, so like, I guess you could say your top line or whatever. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think, so it sounds like you're differentiating between like, um, yeah, like I guess top line slash like actual ad spend type. I, like, I didn't go to business yeah. school, so I don't know the words. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess, I guess I'll just, um, all right. So let me try to think. So I think in terms of actual like ROAS or how well that Google ads account itself was doing, it was doing really well. And I think that's what led me to think that I was doing really well. Right. I was looking so you, at those metrics. I was looking at my sales. Like, so how were your, so if, well, let's just talk about for a second, just this first year, um, your Google ads, um, the, the products you're, and the products you're selling. So like your row ads and like your, what you make for selling a product. Like how was, if you, how was that outside of all the hiring you tried to do and everything like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we can separate that out. So yeah, that was really good. Like, like it was absolutely killing it. I probably hit, I was probably hitting like 25, 30 row ads or something last spring. Um, like, but so that, that would lead me to believe you're spending quite a lot on other things like employees and stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I guess if you have two employees, $13 an hour each, that's what, like 60,000 a year, something like that. Yeah. So I think there's some other things too. It's like, uh, oh, I should probably mention this as well. So I think another part of it is, um, like I don't, so I wasn't doing anything myself. Like I wasn't doing the sales customer service or anything myself. And we kind of ran into this issue where like we, we made a ton of sales and then like there'd be logistical things that happen, I guess, where, you know, like, like something goes wrong with the order or like you canceled it, but then they shipped it or whatnot. I think that ended up costing like a, a good amount as well. Um, just like, yeah, it was, it was something like 30 units that were three K each. And like, it, they were all like canceled, but shipped. And then I was oh like, God. Hey, customer service person, take care of this. And then like they uh, didn't, well, I don't know. We weren't super on top of it. So then some of them, you know, got, like, some of them arrived with the customer and then we had to be like, well, can you arrange return shipping or can you like pay us even though you didn't want this? Um, so wow. yeah, that ended up costing a lot of money. Even just like return fees too. We had to like cough up 2X like shipping fees, even if, if it didn't be returned. So. so it seems like you were very minimally involved in the the day to day and just trying to, yeah, outsource as much it as work. Work. <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, it, well, that doesn't work. Like, I think if you're I, on top of it, it works really well. But. Yeah, or if someone is on top of it at least, which is, I think, kind of difficult. Um, you got to do it at a slow pace. Like, I don't think you could do yeah. it at the pace that you're talking about. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, I know that all sounds very discouraging and whatnot, <laughs> but I think that's like a mistake uh, that's very. Um, it's very specific to trying to like automate it away slash really trying to get yeah. away with doing as little as possible. Yeah. Um, I just want to throw one thing. I just want to actually throw something in here um, because this is something that Mike and I, this, what you actually just talked about, I feel like is something that we've observed a lot in like bigger companies that have tried to run drop shipping stores and run websites and buy websites. Um, we see it all the time. It's like when you're just one person and you're in charge of the website, even if you outsource it, 
there's just like a level of care and a level of attention and a level to detail that you do versus when you just try and like, uh, I, I don't like throw, throw the, throw the problem at like a team without having that level of detail. And I've seen, I've seen it many, many times, not specifically with you're actually the first student I've ever talked to that did something like this, but we've seen it with bigger entities that try to buy e-commerce stores. Like they don't fully understand like, you know, the, the level, like, yeah, they yeah, basically do the same. Someone at the top. That's like the buck stops here. I need to make sure that all these things are actually, you know, fitting together because all the employees, you know, they're going to do their role. And yeah, if you don't tell that employee, you know, to be on top of making sure that this ships before, you know, it's refunded or, you know, something like that, then yeah, you can run into to big issues like that. And that's one of the times where doing things yourself is almost easier because you inherently understand this, but an employee may not. Yeah. So it seems like you came from a little bit of a different situation than most people because, you know, you're saying you're working on Wall Street, Chicago Street, whatever it is. And you, you know, a lot of people, maybe they, you, you said you kind of didn't do it for the money per se. So when people come and they do it for the money, they're going to have that level of detail, that level of attention, that level of focus. And they're not likely to make those kind of mistakes that you mean. I mean, look, it's not bad. I mean, it's not bad for you because you obviously ended up in a place where you're happy with it now. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the big caveat about all this is that like it's gonna be hard to make the same mistakes because like like yeah, if you're gonna be careful about your spend and your expenditures and you're like, you know, gonna actually make sure all your orders are gonna be good and not just trying to YOLO it, like yeah, you're, you're gonna do well. Like you're not gonna make you're not you're not gonna do the same mistakes that I made. And like if I had done that, like I would have been really positive too. Um so yeah, I think the the whatever the losses that I'm describing are kind of just like specific to right. yeah the, the yoloing no i've just never had anyone say like that their store was positive in terms of like the r the r the roi on the ads that and it was just a lot of hiring and then all like a ridiculous amount of orders that shouldn't have been shipped i've never heard but anyway it's just interesting yeah. i never heard that before uh, well but yeah so that's um that's basically what had happened but um but i guess the bright side of it is like because I had a team going through all that, like it was like a very big learning experience for the entire team. Um, and now they're also gonna, they're also like really on top of things now because like we kind of learned a lot of these things the hard way. Um, but like they're, I think honestly think like I have some of the best people now. Also hiring wise, like I think I've, I have like employees right now, but I've fired or, I think I've fired three before and two have left. So I've had like decent amount of turnover as well. Um, so that's How also kind of been, what's up? How many employees did you say you have? You cut off right now. I have about right now. I have three full-time employees and they're all okay. BAs. Yeah. Nice. But they're really strong. Like I think from the turnover, like I kind of understand how hiring works a little bit better and what type of people I'm looking for, um, what type of experience I'm looking for. Um, so I think a combination of that as, as well as like them, some of them having like been through the rough with me last year. Um, yeah, like I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about like, like relying on my team now. Like I really do trust my team with a lot of the, like, like the things that would have like kind of screwed me last year, I would trust them with, with now because we've yeah. like figured it out together. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, those are just some of the things you have to go through as a business owner, right? It's like there's gonna you're gonna hit these hurdles, and if you can overcome them, then you come away with that having learned from that experience. And so it's unlikely it's gonna happen again. So just for you, it was a an expensive learning experience, but uh, nonetheless, you're still here and you bounce back. So you and I did a call together, an ads call. Um, maybe it was last year or six months ago, right? What was that first call we did together? I think, uh, so I think we've done three calls. The first one was like, it was way at the beginning where I listed like 10 SKUs and I was like, Mike, what do I do? Why am I not <laughs> getting sales? And you're like, why do you only have 10 SKUs? And then the second call, I think which is the one you're talking about. Yeah. I think it was like September. So, uh, eight months ago now. Um, so was that before you realized that issue? That was before I realized that issue. Yeah. Because I'm pretty surprised by that because when you showed me all the things you had going on, it was some of the most detailed backend financials I've ever seen. And so for everyone listening, like it was quite impressive. You basically had all your suppliers and I don't know what you did, some sort of coding with your ads and, and your sales and stuff, but you had every supplier and how much money they made based on the ad spend and the profits and all this. And it was color coded, you know, green if profitable and, and a sliding scale of colors. <laughs> so I, I was quite impressed by that. And um, yeah, so I, I, I'm. Yeah, I'll talk about that a little that bit. So, um, yeah, so I guess like when, when I worked in finance and contrading, like we work with data a lot. Um, and I guess what we actually like used Excel decently often to like, you know, display data or even to just like manipulate it. So I kind of just had that idea where I, I was like, okay, well, the Google ads has an API. Um, so I decided to just like use Python to just pull some of the data. And then I just paste it into Excel and then I add some conditional formatting. And that that's basically what you see. Um, You're manipulating a lot of data. Well, uh, it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a lot, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's the same data you're looking at in the, it was way above what, I, what I would consider doing, but yeah, to you, I, no, I'm just saying it was, it was pretty impressive because you were able to actually look at, so for you, one of the problems people typically run into starting out, especially is that they have too many suppliers. You had a lot of suppliers, but you were actually able to manage that issue because you had detailed tracking through how much each supplier was earning over you know a, a period of time. And so you're one of the few students I've seen make that that type of thing work. Because a lot of students, I mean, like you said, I, number one, if they ran into that financial issue, who knows if they would if they would just quit after that. Um, but they may not even be able to keep track of like what's going on at a, at a supplier level with that many things going on mm-hmm. and be able to make the appropriate decisions. So yeah i think it's it has been helpful to to keep track of um to keep track of things and just to know like where your money is coming from um i guess i guess i would say it's it is like a decent amount of like upkeep as well and obviously there is a trap too where it's like oh you have the numbers in a spreadsheet and you think you're making money well clearly like those numbers (laughs) weren't weren't right yeah like so um like i've had to fix it multiple times for actually reflect how much money is was being made um but yeah i think the other thing too about having the um let's say the ability to manage a lot of suppliers is that like you 
because you, I have the ability to manage multiple suppliers and maybe carefully, it just seems like, oh, well, maybe that means I should just manage more suppliers. But then you kind of forget, oh, wait, how about going deeper with a supplier? Like you kind of forget yeah. that, right? Um, and I think, Mike, that's what you kind of alluded to in our in our most recent coaching call as well, is that like there's room in a lot of many of the suppliers that I have to go deeper um, and to do better with them. Um rather than just like kind of more surface level doing a ton of suppliers, I think that's probably a difference as well. Yeah, for sure. And so why don't you take us from that point where you had realized you screwed up and then maybe course corrected. And so how are things going now? Like since that, uh, that time you were able to adjust. Yeah. So I think the first thing I did was like, I actually went through all of my accounting. So what that means is like, so you have your, you know, your bank accounts attached to QuickBooks and whatnot. So I actually went through like, every single, every single entry for the whole year. And then like, you know, I tagged them and categorized them and like reconciled it basically. Um, and, and like, I kind of figured out where like the, the, the money was bleeding from. So I, I, you know, so from there, like I fired employees, I hired a new one that was really good. Um, and then I think also, I think also like I was spending a lot of money in, in refunds, like, it's the kind where like you collect money you collect, uh, and then you pay the payment processing fee and then, mm. you know, it gets canceled and then you lose your 3%. I think I was losing a decent amount of money on that. Like I think 15 K 15. Did you, did you have manual capture on or no? I had manual capture on. I was just later. You were just manually too, capturing. Too yeah. Like, um, and, and it adds up. Yeah. Um, I guess. So, um, so we kind of like, you know, tried to figure out like a way to, minimize those. Um, and then I think, I think also from there, um, like more, more, more work with the ads account as well. Um, cause I remember in September when we called, like, I wasn't really paying much attention to like mobile bidding or like device bidding as well as, uh, as well as like SKU bidding. Um, cause I was kind of just like moving all my bids in a single ad group up and down, like together. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention to where the money was going that specifically. Kind of like forgot about that. So I think that was also another another change um, that, that I had been trying to like implement. So it was basically accounting, hiring, or slash staffing, and then like the ad account. Um, those are probably like the main things that I've been working on the last seven months or so. Uh, and I think they've been uh, like going well. Like I, like I'm starting to have like very consistent like you know profit months now yeah, as a result. Awesome. So as someone who was, um, you know, like an employee and doing a lot of things, I imagine your job was like doing one or a, a subset of particular tasks, right? Uh, so now, yeah. So now you're doing, now you're a, a business owner basically, right? So now you have to, be, now you've kind of switched from being an employee working on a subset of tasks, to kind of being responsible for managing and overseeing all the tasks involved in the business. So how has your mindset changed around that type of thing? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely as a, as an employee, um, but to be honest, like even in the, in, in my, in the firm I worked at, like I, I, I was an employee, but I also did have a decent amount of like, I guess, leeway with what I wanted to do. Like if I wanted to research a specific, you know, signal or something I, I could, um, but it's still, it's still very much different. Uh, I think now, now more so, um, like most of my time is spent like thinking about what to do and trying to like put together a picture of like, Hey, what actually leads to a profitable high ticket dropshipping store? Um, like I kind of 
religiously maybe not religiously but like i watch your guys's like videos a lot like every time you guys have a new video i watch it um like not even just in the paid course like even like your free content like like you guys drop nuggets in there you know so um and then i come back to you and say hey in this video you said this what do you mean yeah, um, you like do, do that. that sometimes too um you know it's like that it's like um i guess it's more like research you know like uh, like I've been toying with the idea of SEO on and off. Like I've probably watched your guys' SEO content free and paid like three times now. Every time I'm just like, should I do this? Like, or <laughs> is it worth it? You know, I'm trying to understand how it works and like what goes into it, what the payoff like profile. A lot of my time is just like thinking, like strategizing basically. Um, yeah, so that's what, that's what I'm trying to get to. I mean, because you, you're very logically strong. Like you're able to take what we say and conceptualize it and, and implement it. And so- what are your feelings now about this business model and like its pros, its cons, and what's your mindset about the whole uh, make money online thing? Uh, about make money online, um, I guess I have less to say about make money online just because it's like a lot of things. But at, at least as far as like high ticket dropshipping goes, like it's like I think it's mm, well, I guess for one, obviously, it's it's been harder than I thought it would be. Uh, but I guess secondly, um, it's like, I think it, I think like in hindsight, it like, it's like, if you do all the right things and all the right things might be like a long list of things, right. But you, you can do it slowly and steadily. And then you kind of are able to consistently build something, um, something that has value long-term. Like obviously it's a store that you can sell and has consistent profit. And the thing is like, anyone can pretty much do it and get there. Um, it's just like a matter of like, thousands and thousands of hours and banging your head on like dumb mistakes here and there. Um, so I think that's probably the reality of it, which I didn't really like, I didn't really have an idea going in. It's just like, Oh, what is, whatever. It's just like a business. Let's try it. But now it's like, now, now the way I think of it is like, it's pretty, I think it's pretty consistent. Like, like as long as you, you know, keep trying and do your due diligence, it's kind of like the only way to fail is to yeah. quit. I think that's something you might have said before. Yeah. Well, I want to say something because when me and Mike started, we started with like two, two or three thousand dollars in like the business account that we created. And obviously, if we did all, the, if we tried to hire so much out of the gate, and we did what you did, um, you tried to. I mean, I think you essentially tried to like run before you could even walk. Uh, but. We had, the, we, by the way, we didn't even know what QuickBooks was when we started like our high ticket dropshipping stores. Like we didn't, we literally didn't know a certain, a thing about business, like, like zero, zero, but on our finger was so much on the pulse of what was going on the day to day that like, there just wasn't room for that, those kind of mistakes. Would would you agree with that, Mike? Like, I feel like. Yeah. You're you're trying you're trying to manage things on like such a like a meta data level, and I feel like, you know, obviously you're doing well with it now. I want to ask you know how these past you know the, the the profit is looking now that you've corrected everything, but I think if you are almost on top of things more of a, like a, a spiritual level, <laughs> more than like a like a data level, I feel like it makes a big it makes a big difference because like yeah. the data level is like a it's like a little bit removed from like the actual reality of it in a way. I'd say data data is removed from reality to some degree. It's a representation of reality, but I yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's 
two ways to kind of go about it and to fail your way to success. I'd say we kind of failed up the hill slowly and <laughs> yeah, just built it brick by brick where, you know, Kevin basically built the whole house, got a little bit too big for his britches and then, you know, had to, had to remodel the house. Yeah. As, as it was uh, built. And let me ask you, so you said that the firm you were working for, that was a small uh, thing was they're not around anymore. You mentioned, do you think the way you did things was kind of reflective of the environment that you came from? Like, I guess the, uh, the startup culture where it's like, get all these systems in place, like, you know, basically like get funding, lose money until you make money and then sell. Like it, it did, did you have like that kind of mindset of it from your past experience? Uh, I think, I think my, uh, I guess way of like trying to build a house really fast, even though it might crumble a bit. Um, I think that's just from like what, like I thought my goal was, uh, or I thought what I thought was like realistically possible. Um, like, so I know Mike always talks about this trap people fall into where people are like, why can't I just have like 200 stores? Why can't well, I just that have you asked, That was like one of the first things you asked us. Yeah. Cause like before you get into the nitty gritty of it and like you run into all these logistical operational areas, it's just like, like you can have one supplier. Why can't you have a million yeah. of them? Um, so like, so then if you're someone who, you know, like believes that it's scalable without too much scalability issues. It's like, well, then I guess I'm going to build a mansion. Right. And to start with a mansion, you're going to have to start with one nice house. Um, and that, well, I guess the house crumbles, but so I think that's probably where it came from. Whereas like, um, yeah, you kind of shoot a little bit too high, maybe just going into it. Um, or I, I shot a bit too high going into it just cause like, I thought it would be possible to do it at scale without too much issue, but Obviously, as I've done it, I see how everything is by email and everything is, you know, like very manual and like plenty of room for error. It's like it's it's a lot of lot of difficulty in, um, in, in scaling for sure. Yeah. Cool. So since you I'm just curious what your revenue and profit numbers are looking like more recently now that you've corrected all the problems from the previous year. Yeah. So I think. um so I think the last three months have been good. Like, I think I've been probably averaging like 200K in sales the last nice. three months. Um, and then I think they've probably been, like I've probably been profitable, like I've probably been net profit like 10K each of them, each month, like around 10K, maybe 10 to 12K. Um, and I guess yeah. like, that's also, I have like a pretty big payroll still. And that's like, after all your, that's after all your payroll, yeah. after all your employees and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like my payroll is probably like 5K. Um, yeah. so like, again, if you're doing everything yourself, that's just like 5k in your pocket. Yeah. I think that's the difference is like, if you were to take on more of that response, like you have a lot, like get rid of that payroll, do it more yourself with just some VAs in the Philippines or whatever, three, $4 an hour for an individual. That's actually like a pretty big difference at, in their pocket at the end of the day. So, I mean, that's a decision that you have to make as an individual, like, and I feel like when you're first starting out, like if you're on your quest, I, I've kind of talked to you about this a little bit. Like if you're on your quest to, to financial freedom, like you want to have however you want to get there, you want to have a paid off house. You want to, you know, pay off all your student loans and kind of get to the point where it's like, I have enough invested to where it's like, all right, I'm kind of good for life now, whether, or like, I don't really have to work that much anymore, whether or not this business continues the way it does or it doesn't. Um, I feel like if that's your goal and that's always been our goal 
going forward is like it makes more like that that's a big difference is making between 10 10 and 15 16k that's like a huge monthly difference in terms of getting there so do, do you think about that at all or not like do you have like any sort of lifestyle goals like by the time you hit a certain age where it's like i want to make sure i have this much invested you know i want to make sure i own like a property do you, do you think of things like that at all or no um i mean i kind of do um but i guess like um, i guess the thing is like i guess i'm not really thinking about it as like oh there's a certain like goal out there it's like i think for me it's a little bit just like kind of competitive in terms of like oh i kind of just want to see how how far i can take a drop shipping store i guess um wow and and so like i guess like <laughs> like still like in the long term or medium or to long term, like I still want to see how high these numbers can go. Um, and so I kind of figured that like, well, if there's, if they're still going to go up from here, like it's going to be enough to kind of afford my lifestyle. I think my lifestyle is not very like much anyways. Um, like, I, like at the, at the current rate, I'm like definitely already fine. So like, I think anything from here is kind of just like, uh, like, oh yeah, I just kind of want to like see how much, like, or how big you can be, um, kind of for sport almost, or just for like out of competitive nature. Yeah. Nice. Wow. So you, you mentioned, um, you'd want to quit your job because you wanted to be more, uh, location independent. So I want to get to the chat soon. So what types of things have you been doing? Like, where have you gone? Uh, how have you been, how have you enjoyed your new, uh, drop shipping lifestyle? Yeah, it's 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 been great. Yeah, so I've probably been mobile or on the road now for like a year um, or so. So definitely, it's been a lot of like, so freedom wise, I like I've traveled, but like it's mostly to just like go on vacations and see friends, um, like go home and see family and whatnot. I think probably one of the biggest things is like I met my girlfriend uh, last year uh, while I was being like mobile and like like I think we we met at the San Diego half marathon actually. So I was flying to the West Coast for that just hanging out with some friends and yeah. So now we're, now we're dating. Um, so we're responsible like, for your relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, and, and like, okay. So, you know, I used to live in Chicago and then I moved to New York and like, she lives in Madison. Um, and like, okay. she actually just got a job. It's in Milwaukee right now. It's my Airbnb in Milwaukee. It's like, I just am able to move and go wherever. And like, you know, I've just been like, literally have used that like so many times just like moving around. Cause like, you know, I need the circumstances allow me to move around and I need to move around. It's like, well, it's not an issue because I work remote. So, um, so that's, that's been like really, really great. Like I've really enjoyed the freedom from that as well. Um, and not to mention like, just like the tons of vacations that we take like once a month and just like traveling or visiting friends or whatnot. It's been, it's been great. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That makes me happy. This is the love connection show. Build assets <laughs> online, build connections offline. So, <laughs> I guess why don't, why don't we jump into the chat? Yeah, I know Joe's excited to use the new uh, chat feature thing. And uh, yeah, let's see. I'm sure people have questions for Kevin and uh, see what's going on. Boom. So T Tiva says, I guess, commenting in the beginning about how she's not, we're not going to buy a course off of YouTube if, if they have too many subscribers. So what's the, the, the number? What's the number we can't go past? Yeah. Or we become frauds. Yeah. How many subscribers? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, mean, I, I don't would know. say though. I mean, you like know. some of the bigger courses we have done have like been kind of bad. Yeah, like Amazon one in particular. We did like the biggest Amazon course I think that is around, and it was just like it was so much fluff and like uh, I don't I don't know what this yeah and uh, 
BS, not much information. But yeah, I mean their production value was high. That's for sure. Production value high. Is it is it the subscriber count or the production value? Are we getting too good on the production value? Maybe that's maybe that's what we need to stay away from. I don't know. I don't know how you avoid it. <laughs> All right. So anyway. Jake says, uh, chilling at my job, thinking of the day I can leave. LOL. I know that feeling, Jake. I mean, I, yeah. Did you I, have that feeling, Kevin? Or was it like you were, did you like hate your job or was it just no. a situation where it was just, I, I didn't hate my job at all. Like it, they were actually very, very nice to me. It was actually great. Like, like, but I, I it was just like, it's kind of like a like maybe golden handcuffs or like, it's like you're, it's like you're well taken care of, but you're kind of like dissatisfied and stagnant. It's kind of like that. I'm surprised you're, you're saying there was limited upward mobility in your job. Uh, I wouldn't say there was limited upward mobility. It was just like, uh, it would have been like kind of boring to do it, I guess. Would you have had to like, I know Joe has talked about this, about how, you know, in his last corporate job, there'd be the people that were trying to move up the corporate ladder and they'd have to come in early and, you know, kiss ass and, and schmooze and stuff to really uh, get in the favor of the higher ups. Did you feel like that was the situation or it was just, I don't know. You know, to, to be honest, like, like um, to be honest, like my old job really had none of that. It was honestly a great, great place to work. Like, honestly, I will say that. Um, like everything about it was really great. It's just like, I, I think I just wanted, I think I'm just greedy. I just like wanted even more with my lifestyle or I just cared about the freedom more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, um, yeah. So unfortunately I don't really, I don't quite match the narrative of like, Oh yeah, I really hate my job and I quit to do this and this, uh, and I quit my job. It was, it was kind of like, um, wow, this job is like really great. I sing praises about it, but the dropshipping lifestyle is even better. <laughs> it's more like that. Well, I, I do like how you brought up the golden handcuff thing because I do think that is a uh, really real type of uh, situation because I think in order to make, make a really big change in someone's life and do a business that's going to, you know, going to be difficult for the first couple months at least, you have to learn all these new things and, and make a lot of changes. There has to be some sort of uh, either a desire to get to someplace or a deep not hate, but, you know, a deep unhappiness of where you're currently at. So was your, your desire was just to like, I don't, I don't know. Like what I, I'm, I'm trying to understand how the scale tip yeah. for you to leave this nice cushy environment where you're doing well. It seems like you have a really great job <laughs> to possibly make a dropshipping store. Yeah. Well, so I, I will say like, I've kind of always had this, like, I guess drive to, like, I don't know, do, do like ventures or do something on my own. Like, so in college, I like played poker a lot. I would fly. I, I was went to school in Philadelphia and like my senior year, I would like fly to LA like once a month to like play poker, go on these like little trips or try to like make money for the weekend. Um, so that was a thing. Like, um, and okay. like, and then my first job, I, I quit actually after seven months because this was at the end of 2017 when the first crypto boom was happening. So then I quit my job and then I dragged my roommate into like quitting his job. And we basically just traded, we just arbitraged crypto for like half a year or something. We set up like three computers in my bedroom and like, and whatnot. I didn't send you pictures okay, later. So it was, it was pretty sick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's like, I quit my first job. I remember when I signed my last job, I actually had two offers, like one from the place I took and one from the other place. The other place was like, 
when they gave me the offer, they called me. They were like, all right, like, we want you to guarantee that you'll stay at least three years before we give you the offer. Like, if, we, if you can guarantee that, then we'll give you the offer. Like, because they were just like, <laughs> you like saw my work history. It was like, well, you, you last job, you worked for seven months and then you just like up and quit out of nowhere. It's like, well, yeah. we don't want that to happen again, you know? But obviously the place I signed, like, didn't really care. And then obviously I left that for two years. So, um, but. You know, I've been really confused about, like why you've done the things that you've done up to this point. But now I think I finally uh, get it based on what you've described. So like <laughs> in the, in the SEO world, there's a lot of people that are super into SEO at like extreme, like nerdy levels. And I don't understand like how these people are making money. Like they don't talk about the sites that they make using SEO. They're just using all these crazy tools to analyze the Google search results and pick up any on-page signal that could be moving a page up. Like, you know, it's, it's just crazy. Like it has nothing to do. It almost seems like it has nothing to do with making money mm-hmm. and more to do with like cracking the Google al- algorithm. And I kind of thought this thing in my head, I was like, these people don't even care about money. They're just trying to slay the dragon. And I feel like that's based on talking to you for a while now. I feel like that's where you're at. Like you're trying to slay the dragon of drop shipping or something. You like, you like a challenge, I think. And you like to, yeah, yeah, you're more you're more motivated by a challenge than uh, and ch- maybe challenging yourself, and that that's that's a really big thing for you. So, yeah, no, that's you're, it. I mean, you hit it on the head. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. Like, I, I when I get bored of something, I think it usually is when I I feel like I figured it yeah. out. It's like, well, yeah, no, but yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. I don't want you to think I'm like psychoanalyzing you or something. I just literally, <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. I've literally just never met someone uh, that has those qualities. Yeah, there has to be, there has to, every, everyone has a tipping point that makes them come to this world. And so, yeah, it's definitely a, a peculiar case when you find someone with the golden handcuffs that realizes that they're golden <laughs> handcuffs. Cause those, those are the toughest to break out of. You know, oh, even yeah. some of, uh, I think even some of your friends, Joe, like, I think if, you know, if you're, if you're just a, a little bit comfortable, it's going to be really hard to force yourself to do a business like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or do any business, right? I mean, yeah. Any kind of business. You just, why? I mean, yeah. So, uh, hit that bid says, uh, Kevin worked in HFT is legit. <laughs> there should be high frequency drop shipping. That's funny. Is Never like trading Never. commodities or something. If anyone's going to come up with high frequency drop shipping, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be Kevin. It's going to be s- some sort of algorithm that he'll develop to, uh, yeah, do like it. Trade like barrels a corn or something. <laughs> I, I will say one thing. I, I wouldn't say I'm an innovative person. I, I think I just like copy what works and try to try to do it. Try to do it really well. I think that's kind of like what I do. Yeah, I'm not to come up with new stuff, but innovation is hard to come by. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe. Uh, I don't. I don't. I feel like I'm definitely not very innovative, but I feel like I make maybe sometimes we make like micro innovations. Yeah, sometimes you innovate almost by accident, and then you can uh, you can work off that because yeah, like. What's the, uh, the Picasso quote? It's like good artists uh, model and great artists steal or something. So it's like, you know, you get know a bunch of information, you implement it, and then you put it all together. And it's like you've kind of created your own thing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's also hard. To, it's hard to innovate if you don't know, like, how you're going to paint something cool if you're not, like, new and innovative. If you, if you don't know how to, like, pick up a brush in the first place or something. Yeah. Anyway, Dan Z, another success story. Sheesh. Um, I've never seen these profile pictures this up close, you know, 
Yeah. It's like I've seen cool. Dan Z comment all the time. I never knew his profile picture was him like reading a newspaper on a bench. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, pretty cool. Learning more about our uh, subscribers. Nix Akalia. So, I don't know. If, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I don't know if we're going to be able to answer this question. Hello, what is the best payment gateway for Shopify? Not Shopify payments, Stripe, and PayPal non-USA residents. Um, uh, authorized.net. I don't. You could try that one. I really don't know how to answer this. <clears throat> Kevin, you're um, you didn't have any issues with like Shopify payments or anything. Uh, I actually have had issues with it. So like, um, like I've been blocked like a couple times and have message Shopify risk. Like I think I started a second store at some point, but it just got booted off Shopify payments and authorized.net didn't take me. So I was just like, okay, rip, I guess that's not happening. Um, so it's definitely a thing. Like I've also had my struggles with PayPal. Like it's been a pain in the ass. But you're still, PayPal. but you're still using Shopify payments, right? Uh, yeah. I, ha I have like a, I have one working Shopify payments account. So I'm just hanging on to that for dear life. That makes right. sense. Well, once you're established, they don't, they don't bother you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I think my chargeback rate kind of like went through the roof while I had some issues last year, and that's why they blocked me. But then, like, they kind of just took it away without me even like bothering yeah. them about it. So, yeah, if you have manual capture on when you start your store, and you know you make sure the first few orders are secure, then they're not going to probably bother you. Yeah, but yeah, I think authorized.net is like kind of the third most popular option that yeah that that person asked. Yeah, I don't know how to how to help them. Uh, Matt says, I started advertising about six weeks ago. I spent 700 bucks across 200 products. Luckily, I made a fat sale where I profited around 5K. And then that, other than that, though, it was dry. How to get more volume. Uh, I spend like 80 bucks a day. I haven't got sales in a while. And the ones I have had are profitable. But these dry patches are scary because I spend almost 100 a day. And most of my products... Uh, let's get to it. should I increase my budget if majority of my 200 product 200 products don't get many clicks I think all my products sell but only about 10% of them get clicks eight hours a day across two campaigns right so it seems like a, a matter of just spend distribution and so um, Kevin and I have had these conversations of you know it doesn't really matter how many products you have it matters what products are spending your money and are those products generating you a return? So you can't just keep increasing your budget and hoping it's going to get you better distribution. You have to fix your distribution before you increase your budget. And you do that just through changing bids. So Matt, I don't know if you're in our uh, coaching program. Um, if you are, we can always hop on a call and, and discuss this in depth. But typically yeah. these issues stem from your money is going to the wrong places essentially I, I feel like a call with mike is definitely the best way to uh address these issues rather than a youtube comment because it's yeah. just i mean it's you just spending a, all this money on these ads i don't know you know yeah it's just a different we, i'm sorry go on no i'm trying to i'm trying to uh, vouch for you mike oh thanks the way that we've always looked at things is like with high ticket drop shipping if we can do something and we can pay for something and it's not i'm not trying to turn this into a sales pitch but if we can do for, do something that could get us, you know, an extra one sale a month, then that thing is is pretty obviously worth it. And I think if you have that mindset when it comes to drop shipping and comes to online business, as long as you're playing the right game, which it sounds like you are, you made a you know, sale that got you five k, then um, yeah, just like 
small tweaks can have a lot of impact across time. So just uh, consider that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just – so you said spend distribution is – I mean, I want to give them something to walk away with. Yeah. You're, it's it's most likely the, the distribution of your spend. It's going to the wrong products, the wrong SKUs, maybe the wrong devices. It's not, you know, spending too much on mobile, not enough on mobile. Have to see where your, your sales are coming from and compare that to where your money is actually being spent. Right, so Kevin? Yeah. Okay. So AJ says, because um, I guess because you said you outsourced a lot of things out of the gate, uh, were you doing supplier outreach yourself once you hired those sales customer service people? Uh, I, I was at first, and then I tried to outsource. Then I tried to like train someone to do it, and then I don't think they were very good because um, they would just like send a couple follow ups and be like, "Oh, okay, I, I sent it out, whatever." So yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it's not good. Um, but. Spider Archery is like pretty simple to do yourself anyway. Plus, like, mm. like that doesn't take too long. So, so I don't know if you're comfortable with answering this, Kevin. If not, we can move on. How much money did you have saved prior to starting up? Uh definitely a good amount. Like, pro probably like like comfort like enough to comfortably live on for for a while for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely a factor, right? To like, that's why I'm just spewier, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I feel like Kevin. It Kevin's starting point is different than someone else's starting point. Cause again, like I said, it seems like Kevin was trying to slay the dragon versus make this a slow to build lifestyle business. And it's too, yeah. it's too totally. It was, this wasn't a bootstrap type operation. This was like, let me see how quickly I can put the house together and get this all going. Yeah. We, we could bootstrap because yeah, we didn't have that much money to start out. So we had to go, brick by brick every sale was a brick you know i mean we didn't even consider like outsourcing like it wasn't even a, a thing in our mind to i mean may, like yeah, maybe, no. maybe deep far back when we first started but not like not at first we looked at all of our products manually when yeah. we started out we did literally everything our like when we first started we we built our first store in like in in literally two weeks and i remember we literally did we did nothing we were in the same house we did nothing from sun up to sundown, but call suppliers, upload products, do the ads. I remember I was, I would like go for a walk at night just to get a break. And while I was on the walk, I'd be listening to like podcasts of other people that do high ticket dropshipping, and then come back and then start start the process all over again the next day. Yeah. So it's it's totally totally different. And then when those first phone calls came in. Who was picking up the calls? We were in the same room picking up the calls. And then there was one point where we were both picking up the calls like separately. So there was none of that uh, from the beginning. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. You say something? Oh yeah. So um, I guess to your point about like, yeah, you know, it does sound like you really grinded at the beginning. Um, I think so when I was doing the crypto arbitrage thing, like, there was a couple months where like I would leave my apartment once a month. Like it would literally be 16 hour days and this like order take out it. And like, and I guess we were working at that time in the sense that like, okay, yeah. like I was doing like actual like live trading. So it was just be like me with the computers up and like literally watching the markets and clicking off the arbitrages. But then on the side, we'd be like coding stuff or like doing, you know, our accounting or, you know, all these other administrative tasks too. And I think I just think back to that time where I was like working without a break. And I think I just really don't want to do that again. Um, 
So that's probably also why I was, no, like, I was, I was, I was going to say, too hard. I was gonna say the way you did it was probably a grind as well, but it was probably just a different grind of hiring and setting up the systems versus just plunging yourself into the system and doing it, you know, from the inside out, you tried to just, yeah. it's not, not that it's any less of a grind. It's just uh, a bit different. So anyway, one, one way is not better than the, is not right. better than the other. It just depends on your, your goals and your situation. Yeah. Crypto hippo. When so crypto hippo asks, uh, how do you do crypto arbitrage, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, when starting out calling suppliers, what would you say is the average success rate getting them on board? What do you think, Kevin? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say 20%. You'll probably get on board 25%, but you might not want all those suppliers. Yeah. Do you yeah, find it's? I think it's very industry specific as well. Like if you get into something really uh, low key that people aren't really doing, then it could be really high. Um, or you can try, you know, try and go into like the construction industry and get suppliers probably be really low. So I, I wouldn't say the rate of supplier success determines if something is a good industry or a bad industry, because you could have a higher supplier success rate, but all the suppliers suck because they're letting everyone in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, no offense, Crypto Hippo, I feel like this is kind of just like a, a metric that I wouldn't care about. Yeah. I just, I feel like the metric is kind of meaningless. AJ Beckner says, also, Kevin, what did you put in place for loss prevention due to returns? That is something my store is still seeing with a few brands still affected by supply chain issues, mm -hmm. loss prevention. Um. So I think what we do now is like, I guess in, in lieu of that is like, do a loss per due to returns. I think we're just trying to be like really explicit about like uh, like return policy and ETAs and and whatnot and like um, oh I think it's also like like try to stay on top of like all the uh, tracking info emails and like the like all those things uh, that just so like we can suss out the suss out things that go wrong. Um, I think it's pretty like straightforward stuff where it's like oh you make a mistake and then you're just like oh how, what can I do to not let this happen again and then. You, Make yeah. a new SOP or something. Yeah. Yeah. Communication is key. Um, yeah. That's the way you're going to minimize that stuff by communicating with customers as much as possible. I mean, obviously having your VAs do it. Um, and just, yeah. So they know exactly what's going on. Sorry. This is like the third stream we've done today. So I'm saying the same thing. I'm tripping oh, over yeah. my words. All right. We answered that question from Matt. Um, Kevin, this is up to you whether you want to answer. Kevin, what industry are you in, and what is the price range? Uh, I, I mean, it's I, I can share. It's like it's like um, it's like it's like furniture, right? So that's like really broad. Um, it's like a super super broad, like kind of like a catch all industry. Uh, price range rise. It's like what your typical high drop ticket drop shipping is. It's like between like yeah, it's like one k plus. Maybe most of them are like between one and. 6k or something yeah it's pretty typical i'd say <laughs> so aaron says we're a fraud after we get 100k subscribers tiva says we're a fraud after 46k 46 what number is that aaron says what helped you during the slower revenue months i'm not sure what he's referring to there did you have mm -hmm. some months that were slower revenue did we yeah talk about for that? sure um I, I have pretty i think i had pretty big like cyclicality or like seasonality um what helped me? Uh, pray for the pray for the spring to come again. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, it's just like part of it, right? It's just like you're busy and then you're less busy. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is when we first started, I remember obviously we didn't have as much experience, but our whole thing was we made four stores because to, to get over, like if one was doing bad, the other one would do good. Our goal is just four sales a day. We want one from each store. So I don't know if that's the best advice, but like just thinking about identifying which activities are going to get you more sales. I have something to add maybe here. Um, so I remember during your guys's like drop shipping niche review video about hockey tables, you guys were like, Oh, once we understood that all the sales are in December for the whole year, then like it became yeah, yeah. easier to sell that. Tables. So maybe that's what it is. It's like, if your if your products have type of some type of like seasonality to it, then like maybe you just, yeah, should be dropping your bids in the off season and yeah. that'll probably help. All right. So, for Kevin, since you have a lot of employees and almost your store on autopilot, do you plan on opening any more? Um, I originally was gonna open that second store. I like I remember I called like 50 suppliers for that, but then the that didn't work out. So then I kind of closed it. Um I think at this point it's like you know, like at this point I thought about SEO a little bit more, and like that's kind of like a thing that scales well on one store. So I'm yeah. probably just gonna like you know stick to one store and try to like, right, I don't want to build like twice as many backlinks and like twice as many, you know, articles and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah. When I was saying we were, we made four stores, it was like at that time we didn't really have any other options. Like we didn't really know anything about SEO. We didn't really know anything about, we didn't know much about ads either. No, we didn't know about much about scaling ads either. So like that was the only option we've had. Obviously if you're a student of ours, you have many more tools in the kit um, for what you could do to get through the slower revenue months. But I guess once you've exhausted all those tools, like literally if you have a store that's like selling water parks or something, you know, you're not going to make as many sales outside of the hot season. So maybe at that point, making another store does make sense. Yeah. Joey, Mike, something I'm like really impressed by slash like have so much respect for is like how you, you guys like literally brute forced your way, like, through all of this stuff. And then you, then you just learn everything after, after everything, you just put it into a nice course and give it to people so that they don't make the same mistakes. Like, like, wow. Like I just can't imagine having to do this without your course. Like I straight up don't know what anybody would do. Like, you know, <laughs> thank you. Well, we're we're going to clip that. Right, it's going. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's not as easy as, as it seems. I feel like I, I don't think it goes underappreciated by our students necessarily, but that's why I was asking you about the Spencer Cornelia stuff because, or the fact that you were watching his videos and the charlatan versus success thing is because I feel like putting together a course and, and doing what we do, it's, it's not that easy all the time. Like, cause you might put things together in one way and then people don't understand it or they take your advice and they do, or then you do something totally different. Right. And it's just, it, it's a lot of work to record videos and get it all figured out. Like, it's really surprising. Yeah. Th thank you, Kevin. It's not something like we ever had in mind. Like, it's almost every step of the way has kind of just happened almost, you know? Um, like, when we first when we first made the course, it was because, like, someone literally just told us to do it. Someone else that had a course. And, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was always like, so me and Mike have bought a ton of courses since 2014 on so many different topics and it was always like yeah one day like we're gonna make a course and as it became more obvious that like a lot of courses sucked out there 
there was something that's like, well, why can't we make a better course? Like this person is making a course. Like, why can't, why can't we do it? True. But the other thing too is like, like you guys are like really, really like at the forefront to like figure things out, I guess. Um, like I remember in one of like Mike's videos from like three years ago, like, I think it's just like some video about Google ads. Uh, but like you're sitting in front of the camera with like the Google text, Google ads, like textbook or something with like all these <laughs> post- post-its in it. And I'm just like, dude, you literally like probably went through that entire thing to try to like figure out Google ads. Like, holy crap, so much respect. Like everything I know about Google ads is from you, you know, like, thank you. Like I'm not like you guys like actually try to figure out everything and try to innovate. And like, like people taking your course are like, they kind of have the easy way out in a sense. It's like, Oh, like we, we get the curated info. So yeah, a lot of respect for you guys. Oh, <laughs> definitely appreciate that. Uh, Eric was say, well, I think we're out of the comments. We have this one is jewelry an oversaturated niche in Canada. Um, jewelry is really, really hard niche in general. I don't know about in Canada. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's one that's saturated. I'd, I'd say it's just a totally different um, business model in terms of you can drop ship it, but it's going to come with its own set of challenges. So not something I would recommend. I would I would really strongly discourage someone from doing that as a beginner. However, I would say there's shoulder niches to that. Uh, that one could possibly do like jewelry uh, cutting, like sell to the jewelers would be. Yeah. Like jewelry display cases. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of things like, like like, think about this. If you, if you have like a super wealthy woman and you go inside her closet, what else besides the jewelry is, uh, is in there? Yeah. Like one of those, uh, those little tuffet seats (laughs) where you sit on the tuffet. tuffet. Yeah. And you try on the jewelry. All right. Uh, <laughs> Saul, what are some core factors that determine whether or not you should stop running ads on a brand? We don't, we don't stop running ads on brands. Boom. <laughs> Tiva says, yo, that's genius. Yeah. Uh-huh. What can I say? We're micro innovators here at build assets online. Micro, <laughs> micro disruptions. Yeah. <laughs> microaggressions and my pause so many ad groups i have to go maybe i'll regret that oh them all well, on again. you're a different case you know but in general it's uh what we do is not something that is like a facebook ad model where you're testing things and you know slashing what fails and stuff like that this is like realistically any product can sell it's just what price is it gonna like what what's the cost to, to get that sale and so um, if you're selling products at the right price, then realistically, there should be a, a point that you can do that. Course is a lot of money and I am broke. Is there a payment plan? Oh, we used to offer a payment plan. We don't offer one anymore. Um, I don't know. Should we bring that back? We'll have to talk Let's, about it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, depending on how broke you are, maybe you shouldn't. Uh, start a business if you're totally broke yeah you never want to start a business from a point of desperation i would say even even high ticket dropshipping i would just get a little bit of money saved up go i don't know maybe drive uber or something 
I don't know who I don't know you or what you should do, but I feel like before you start any business, if you want to focus on a hundred percent, like you don't want to do it from a place of like being broke. Facts. Uh, Dylan echoing Kevin's praise. Joe and Mike are the best, <laughs> best course content delivers <laughs> in the game. Make sure you don't cross the hundred K uh, subscriber subscriber mark. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. Never. We're, we're, we're a long ways away. So yeah. Tiva be on the watch. For the hottest jewelry case dropshipping store. Uh, Victor G, are you guys still selling land? I saw your Land Academy interview. Yes. In fact, we have our own land course. Just came out. Kevin, you're in it. I'm, I'm excited to see what you're going to make of it because I think uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy it. But yeah, we still buy and sell land. Still uh, low-key, uh, a pretty big uh, revenue driver for our, our businesses. Yeah. Go to buildassetsonline.com slash land if you want to uh, enroll in that. Yeah. The course content's very good. I can attest. I'm halfway through. Yeah. Thank you. That's all right. Out. We got more questions. I mean, usually the, the viewers really drop off by now. Sorry if you uh, – do you have to go, Kevin? No, I, I'm, I'm okay probably for, for a bit longer. Yeah. Okay. All right. How much time is good to expect a lot of volume? I how much time is good to expect a lot of volume? I spend like 2000 a month so far and I'm almost two months in, not many sales. Ones I've had were enough profit to cover the whole business. So number one, I think you need to be, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to come off like a, like a, you know what, but that, that's not, you're not in a bad position if that's happening to you. It's just a testament to the business model, right? You're spending enough to, to make profit. And I get that it's scary to be in that situation where you have, it's like one sale is like bailing you out every month and we've had stores like that. And um, we just did another interview today. That'll be a, a different time with another set of students that are running a similar store where it's like a low volume, high profit store. Um, but so to that point, not every store that you set up and not every industry you're in is going to be a high volume industry. Sometimes you have stores where you're going to make one sale a week, but it's going to be a fat sale. And you're going to make a lot of money on that and you have to recognize that and just enjoy it for what it is because you can try and expand that store, but it'll become more of a pain in the ass potentially. So two months in you're profitable. That's better than a lot of people are, you know, a, a better position. A lot of people can better position than a lot of people can uh, yeah. ask to be in. So yeah, I would say the only thing I could say is, if you get in the elite fleet, we can talk about it in depth because I can't give advice just based off of, you know, these broad numbers. I have to see inside the account and uh, yeah. advise you from there and well, see the store and see everything. I was just actually, this guy's icon looked familiar to me. So I, I searched our email and he's basically, he's like, I already have drop shipping figured out. I just want to get coaching for the ads. Um, Is there a possibility that I could just get in? Um, or he says he'll eventually buy the course. But I mean, at this point, you know, the possible, like, I don't just come on the stream and try and like sell the course to anyone. Like you saw the guy just said, like, you know, if you're broke, blah, blah, blah. And I said, probably don't do it. But to you, like, just join the course. Like I can almost promise you, like, it's going to save you so much time and pain and heartache. Like you might as well just get all the information, get the coaching calls and like, yeah, I'm literally selling it to you for your own benefit. So, and sometimes that's what it is, you know, it's 
we don't, we don't just do this to enrich ourselves. It's like it's, it's it should be a win win thing. So we didn't yeah. come on here to, to sell the course or anything, but this is just yeah. I'm, this is this is a solution for you. So just go to buildassetsonline.com, click at the top, enroll in Elite Fleet, and that's it. You'll uh you'll thank us later. You guys are beasts. I want to be sold. That's kind of funny because when I was buying a, <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago when I was buying a car, I was like, or I don't, I don't like they have to like romanticize me to buy this thing, and I hated when the seller like. The, the guy, the car I actually ended up buying was because the sales guy was good. He like saw me with my wife and he's like, these guys, they, they must appreciate safety. And the first thing he says is like how the motor falls out when like you crash or whatever. And like he hit all the right, the right buttons. And so, yeah, sometimes I want to be sold too. I don't, uh, I'm, I don't, you, man, everyone wants to be sold, but not everyone knows what you want. Yeah. <laughs> AJ says, I think as long as you stay unscripted, you guys will come across as more authentic than the Crowley Morrison types. Crowley. Get those 100K subs, guys. Thanks, man. AJ's a longtime member, longtime good guy. But unscripted, baby. Live and unscripted. Fuck it. Yeah. Let's do it live. You know, we've, been trying, we've been trying to do more like paid advertising to grow the channel and stuff, and it's, it's tough because – I think we, we thrive in these more uh, laid back yeah. environments. We talk to people, et cetera. And it's like, you have five seconds to hook someone in. And it's like, it's bullshit, you know, because what can you convey in five seconds? Yeah. If we're getting all, uh, you know, mush, like personal here on the, on the show. I mean, I feel like lately with the studio and everything, we've tried to do more like modeling of what we see other course creators doing. And this, this just always feels the best to me. Is being yeah, on the stream. I'm sitting in my mom's basement. I'm taking it ease. Yeah. You know, what's what's the what's the issue? It's more fun to me too to just speak naturally and not worry about like every. If you're sick of losing money <laughs> on Facebook ads, but... see all this cash. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the the my favorite like online guru is is uh, John Krishani or whatever. Like he just comes with like piles and piles of cash and he has like a cash gun and he just shoots like the hundred dollar bills at the camera. I don't know who that is, but yeah, it's good. Anyway, should we call it? Yeah, let's call We're keeping Kevin way too yeah, long. Sorry guys. He's got crypto to trade. He's <laughs> done with that life. Plan. Signals. Yeah, I got, I gotta go. So. Yeah. Those candlesticks. All right. His option position is, is, <laughs> getting screwed up (laughs) all right guys all right guys (laughs) thanks so much for coming on the show if you want to learn how to build this is my only scripted part of the show uh if you want to learn how to build a million dollars in online assets starting with drop shipping check out our free web class buildassetsonline.com slash playbook you could see it there on the screen with our new fancy straight streaming software and it came up in such a nice way and honestly i'm very proud of it i feel like now that we have the live streaming format figured out the live streams are back we're going back to old school build assets online. Daddy method. Yeah. But what's the what's the final word, Mike? I guess uh take it easy. Thanks for listening to the Build Assets Online Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget, subscribe, share.
share, and leave us a rating on whatever platform you might be listening from. And if you're ready to learn how to build your own online business portfolio, start now by visiting buildassetsonline.com slash playbook. We'll see you in the next episode.